this church. Today we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 13, verses 12 through 20. So I'm going to focus on today. So everyone doing well? Are you sure? I mean, you don't seem excited. Well, I need to get y'all to stand up and do some jumping jacks and and some burpees. That'll wake you up. (laughs) Well, we can, I can just not do the sermon. We can do a CrossFit workout. I mean, how about that? (laughs) You're out for the sermon, right? Resurrection love from Jesus is what we've been talking about this Easter season. We've been looking at uh, John 13 as a portrait of this resurrection love from Christ. And Christ paints this this portrait in the upper room with his 12 disciples. He paints this picture during the Last Supper with them. First, the portrait shows us that his resurrection love flows from who he is. It flows from who Christ is. Second, it shows us that the resurrection love washes us completely. It washes us completely. And third, the portrait shows us that his love continues to wash us daily throughout our lifetime. And this morning, it's going to show us that his resurrection love compels us to love. His love compels us to love. So if you have your Bible, John 13, beginning in verse 12. When Jesus had finished, when Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to the disciples, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and master, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is God's holy word. Please pray with him for me. Father, there is. This is no small task to stand and open up your word and preach it to your people. This is no small task. This is not like leading a business meeting. This is not like giving a motivational speech. This is, this is dealing with your very word. I don't take it lightly. None of us should take it lightly. And so, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need him to show up. We need him to open up our hearts. We need him to open up our minds. We need him to, to move in us. 
as I pray each week, if, if the Spirit doesn't move, then, then lives are not changed. If the Spirit doesn't move, if He doesn't convict, if He doesn't encourage, then nothing gets done in the church, in our lives, and in the world without the movement of your Spirit. So we pray that He will come and fill this place. Come and fill our hearts as a congregation. You see us. You see the kids. You know what they deal with. Minister to them, Lord. You see the families. Minister to them. You see the, those who are dealing with relational issues, emotional issues, vocational issues. You, you see, Father. You see those who have dealt with loss. Minister to them today. We don't come here just to check a box. We come here to worship our God and King, and to hear from you, to receive a word from you that can take us out and to engage one more week in this world in which we live. So in this place, we need you to minister to our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Resurrection love compels you to love other people. In other words, the more you embrace Jesus' love for you, the more you should be compelled to extend that love to other people. The more you embrace Jesus' love for you, the more you should extend that same love to others. Jesus communicates this to his disciples in the verses before us. He does this by, by talking about the second meaning of the foot washing. There are two meanings of the feet washing. Last week, we talked about the first one. There's a spiritual meaning, and there's an ethical meaning of him washing their feet. The spiritual meaning is the daily forgiveness that he continues to, to give to those of you who have faith in him. It's the grace that continues to be greater than your sin. It's the intercession that he continues to make for you right now in heaven. That's what Jesus does on your behalf. He is still advocating for you. He does not stop working on your behalf at conversion. He continues to do it, continues to wash you. In Luke 5, a man with leprosy comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and, and he falls on his face and he begins to beg Jesus, to beg him. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you are willing you can make me clean. The man comes to Jesus believing that he had the power to make him clean. And Jesus said to him, I will be clean. He stretched out his hands and, and he touched the man and he said, I will so be clean. And the leprosy left the man. You see, some of us, we, we think, we don't think Jesus still do that for us in our life. We somehow think that, that once Jesus gets us in the kingdom, then it's all up to us to keep ourselves there. It's all up to us to, to continue to deal with those, that, that, those sins that continue to entangle us. It ain't just up to you. It's up to Jesus. He still comes to you. Those of you who have faith, in him, those of you who are called by his name, you still need the daily cleansings that comes from his resurrection love. You're not in heaven yet. You're going to still struggle. There's going to be sufferings. 
There's going to be loss. There's going to be disappointments. We're not in glory yet. And so on this side of heaven, things are never going to be what it should be. Just because you come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have your best life now. Does not mean that at all. Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with sin, disappointment. As a parent, just because you are a parent doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect. Doesn't mean your spouse is going to be perfect. Kids, doesn't mean your parents are going to be perfect. We all have our issues, even as Christians. And that's why Jesus continues to intercede on your behalf, continues to wash you in those areas of your life that need to be washed. I have issues. I still need to be washed, and so do you. We all need the healing that comes when Jesus is loved. We need to be we need the restoration that comes when Jesus is loved. He brings resurrection to the brokenness of your life. I hope you realize you still have leprosy in your heart, even if you are saved. You still have leprosy in your heart. Now, you can follow all the rules, and kids, you can follow all the rules and fool your parents. They can't fool Jesus. Spouses the same way. We all have sin that we still struggle with, and Jesus knows it, and he still sees you, and he's still willing to cleanse you. And he does. So you have to continue to embrace this spiritual meaning of him continuing to wash you. Because he does that. And when you continue to embrace that spiritual meaning, it will compel you to extend the ethical meaning. You won't do the ethical meaning if you do not understand and embrace the spiritual one. The ethical meaning flows out of what Jesus is doing in your own life. It flows out of his actions. It flows out of him washing your feet. And you can't lose sight of that point of this verse. You can't lose sight of that in your life. Everything you do and will do flows out of what Jesus is doing for you. Do you believe that? You love your kids because Jesus loves you. You be a good spouse because Jesus is good to you. You be a good neighbor because Jesus is good to you. You You get up and go to work on time because of Jesus. It's what he has done for you. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Do you believe that? 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of Christ compels us. Do you believe that? In John 15.15, Jesus tells the disciples, you can do nothing apart from me. You don't have to look up the Greek to understand what that means. Do you believe that in your own life, that apart from Christ, you can do nothing? We don't really believe that. Because we got a lot of stuff and we have a lot of education and we, we live in, we're Americans. We, we need a little bit of Jesus. Do you really believe that apart from Christ, you can do nothing? Do you really believe that? So you have to embrace, continue to embrace his resurrection love from you. You have to continue to live in it. Continue to understand it. Because if you don't embrace it, if you don't understand it, then there will be an issue. 
And that issue is that you can't and you will not live out the ethical meaning of him washing feet if you don't embrace and understand what he do, that he does that for you. You love, Jesus loves you in spite of you. Do you believe that? He loves you in spite of you. He forgives you. Do you know this? He forgives you. If you are his people, you have been cleansed by his blood, he forgives you when you sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is compassionate toward you, merciful toward you, graceful toward you? Do you believe it? Even your darkest hour, he's gracious to you. Even when you make mistakes, he's compassionate toward you. Do you believe it? Do you embrace that? Is that the Jesus you serve? Even when he disciplines you, because he does, he does it because he loves you. Do you believe that? Do you? Paul says in Romans that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you really believe that? Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Where's my sign? I've got to find my sign. There we go. Thank you. Because I'm not getting no amens. I must not believe it. Nothing can do that. And you have to believe that for yourself. And if you struggle to believe that, there's a prayer that you can pray. It's a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, where he says, I pray that you may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You have to pray that for yourself. Because we all struggle to believe in that kind of love. You have to pray that for one another. Pray that for your kids. Pray that for your spouses. Pray that for your neighbors. That you can comprehend that love. Pray that the Spirit will help you to, 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 to understand it. Pray that the Spirit will produce in you a greater desire to understand this love. A greater desire to embrace it for yourself. And when that happens, you will strive to live out the ethical meaning of the feet washing. Again, everything you do flows out of what Christ has done for you. And that means if you're not doing something, there's something about Jesus you don't understand. In other words, if you have a hard time forgiving people, then there's something about Jesus forgiving you that you don't understand. Because there ain't a sin he ain't forgiving you for. That's what I mean. Everything you do overflows from what Jesus has done for you. Everything. And if you don't understand it, you're going to have a hard time living out the ethical implications of what I'm getting ready to talk about. Way FM is one of the Christian contemporary stations here in Huntsville that I listen to regularly. And they have a concept that they created. It's called the drive-through difference. It's kind of similar to, it's kind of similar to pay it forward. So with the drive-through difference, you basically pay for the food or coffee of the person in front of you. You do it because you know you want to give back. You do it because someone has been good to you. So you want to make a difference in someone's life. And, and, and similarly, this, the ethical meaning of the foot washing is basically you trying to make a difference in someone else's life because Jesus has made a difference in your life. Has he made a difference in your life? 
you should strive to make a difference in someone else's life. When God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Think about that. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great name. Not so you can be selfish with it. Not so you can make it all about you. So that you will be a blessing. Each of you in this room have been blessed by Christ. Right? Yes. He has blessed you to be a blessing. But are you? But are you? The ethical meaning of the foot washing flows freely out of what Jesus is doing in your life. His love compels you to love. And Jesus is going to make this clear to you and to the disciples. So after he humbles himself and and washes their feet, he he gets up off his knees, puts back on his robe, he sits back down at the dinner table, and then he asks them a question. He says to them, do you understand what I have just done to you? Do you comprehend it? Do you grasp it? Do you realize it? In other words, do you understand the ethical meaning of what I just did? Do you understand it? That's the point of the question. See, the disciples, they don't fully understand the spiritual meaning yet. They're not going to understand that until after the resurrection. But they will understand the ethical meaning now because Jesus explains it to them. He does it in a way that they can understand it. You see, he connects the feet washing with his human nature. And when I saw that in the text, I was like, oh, that's a good point. Because they didn't, they didn't know that he's God yet. They don't understand that he's the, the Christ yet. But they do know he's a man. They at least know that about him. And so he explains the ethical meaning in a way that they can understand it. He says to them, you call me teacher and master. You are right, for so I am. Now, is he just teacher and master? No. We know that because we're looking back. But for them, they know he's a teacher and a master. He doesn't say, you, you address me as son of God. He doesn't say you address me as Messiah. He doesn't say you address me as the Christ. Those are Jesus' divine titles. They don't understand those yet. But the earthly ones, they do. Teacher and master. The disciples can understand those things about Christ. Because within the group of the disciples... Who's the leader? Who's the leader? Who's the man? Is Peter the man? Jesus is the man. Within the group, there's only one teacher. There's only one master, and that's Jesus, and they know that. They're not confused by that. They know that. Peter knows he's not the man. He knows it's Jesus. And so he's, he's going to connect the ethical meaning in a way that they can understand it. And these titles of teacher and master In that culture, those are titles of respect and honor and reverence that students and disciples would give to those that's over them in authority. So they were called Jesus Master because it's acceptable in that culture. So and so Jesus is saying, since I am the Master, I am the Lord. I'm still going to humble myself before you. That's what He's doing for them. They can understand that. Their teacher, their leader, their boss, the one in charge, humbles himself, exposes himself, takes on the role of a servant, washes their dirty feet. 
And so Jesus is saying, yet I'm the one in charge. I'm still willing to humble myself before you, my servants. He does not lord his authority over them. He does not use his, his titles as a way not to serve them in this form of fashion. What leader, anybody in a position of a power, would do such a thing? No. Who? Who would do such a thing? Jesus will. He doesn't use his titles as an excuse not to serve them. He shows them the full expression of his love. He's saying, even though I am the teacher, even though I am the master, even though I am the leader of the group, I'm also the lead servant in the group. Think about that. He's all those things, but he's also the lead servant as well within the group of the 12 disciples. That's what he's showing them. And what flows out of his actions is his expectation that the disciples would do the same thing. Because remember, Jesus is going back to glory. And so his ministry is going to continue by these men. And so he's showing them how he wants them to exercise their leadership going forward in his ones of servants, not lording their titles over the people. That's what he's showing them, a certain type of leadership. So the ethical meaning of the, uh, for them and for us is that if Jesus washes feet, his disciples will wash feet. He says to them in verses 14 and 12, 14 and 15, If then I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done to you. This Greek term that's translated all, can also be translated obligated to. To be obligated to do something. So this phrase, to be obligated, is only used by Jesus twice in the Gospels. Here in John 13 and in Luke 17, 10. Twice does he use this phrase. You see, obligation carries with it some moral or ethical expectation and responsibility. It means one should be compelled to do something. So the disciples are obligated to wash one another's feet. They're obligated to do it, is what Jesus is telling them. And that obligation flows directly out of what Jesus has done for them. For I have given you an example in order that you should do as I have done for you. He's clear about what he's expecting from the disciples here. See, sometimes we, we, when we talk about Jesus, we don't always talk about him having expectations for us because it's all about what he's done for us. In this verse, he's saying, I'm expecting you to do this. Is what he's telling them. I'm expecting you to wash one another's feet. And he wants them to follow in his footsteps. He's given them a pattern. He's given them an example. Paul told the, the, the Philippians to be imitators of God. Jesus is telling the disciples the same thing. He wants them to be imitators of him. Do as I have done for you. On Thursday, March 24th, Pope Francis uh, washed and kissed the feet of Muslims and Christian and Hindu refugees. And these individuals were all chosen to take part in this annual ceremony. But I'm sure, even though there was a diverse group of people sitting up there getting their feet washed by the Pope, none of them betrayed the Pope. None of them personally offended the Pope. 
None of them caused the Pope personal harm. But that's not the case with Jesus. Not the case with Jesus. Because he washes the feet of a man who will betray him. He washes the feet of a man who is going to deny him three times, even though he said he would die for Jesus. He washes the feet of men who are going to abandon him when he gets arrested. You see, Jesus lays aside his titles of master and teacher and humbles himself and washes the feet of imperfect men who he knows is going to let him down later. But he not let that stop him. Think about that. He knew these things were going to happen, and yet he still humbled himself before them. So what does that mean for you? Jesus knows you're going to mess up, and yet he still washes your feet. He knows you're going to mess up. He knows you ain't going to be perfect. He knows you're going to let him down. He knows you're going to let each other down. He knows you're going to fail, and yet he's not turned off by it. He still comes to you. But do you believe that? And when you think about that type of Jesus, and when that type of love gets inside your soul, how can you not love other people when you know how much you are loved by God? How can you not? He lays aside those titles to love them. Are you willing to lay aside your titles, your so-called privilege? your so-called education to love other people. Are you willing to do that? Remember, Jesus did that for you. He did much more, too. He, he didn't just lay aside earthly titles. He laid aside other titles to you. Paul says, Jesus became, Jesus became, was rich and became poor for your sake. And that richness is talking about him leaving glory. He had it all. But because of you and his love for you, he left it there and came and took, on the, and took on the image of man. That is the humility of the Savior. And that's what Philippians 2 tells us, that he lays aside more. It says to us that think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think much of himself, that he had to cling to that the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. And took on the status of slave, became human. Having become a human, he stayed human. And he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. Think about that. We're not comparing ourselves to each other. We Republicans shouldn't be comparing ourselves to Democrats. We hold our standard to Jesus. Because if I'm comparing myself to you, then I can either be better than you or less than you. But when I'm looking to him, to him, then I realize I ain't ever going to measure up. Well, I'm not ever going to measure up. And so, think about what Jesus has done. Let that go inside your soul. He did it all for you. He humbled himself to the point of death. Because of love. That's love. Resurrection love. The disciples are to think of themselves the way Jesus thought of himself. A humble servant. One who comes to serve, not to be served. It's simply, it's humility. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. The disciples are the servants. The disciples are the messengers. And they are not going to ever be greater than Jesus. And the same applies to you. I don't care how big the pastor is. He ain't going to be greater than Jesus. I don't care how much success you have. I don't care how many people you lead to faith. You're only going to be a messenger. You ain't ever going to be greater than Jesus. Ever. And so that means if he washes feet, then you're going to wash feet. And ain't a title that you have that's going to make you say, I can't do that. Because Jesus didn't do that for you. He didn't do that for you. He didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus. I don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't do that. That's beneath me. That's beneath my job grade. If he did that, none of us would be saved. Again, we compare ourselves to Jesus, not to other people. Because if we treat, if Jesus treated us like we treat other people, we in bad shape. We in bad shape. We are. If you have faith in Christ, he is expecting you to do this. But do you believe it? He says in verse 7, if you know these things, I'm sorry, verse 17 and 18. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. These words that Christ is is speaking to, he is talking to 11 of the disciples, not all 12 of them. Remember from last week that one of the disciples aren't clean, and it's Judas. He's not chosen. So Jesus isn't expecting Judas to do something that's only meant for his people to do. He's not expecting him to wash other people's feet. He's not expecting Judas, because he's expecting Judas to betray him later. So what he's communicating about feet washing is for 11, the ones that he's chosen. And so please know, if you're here and you not know, know, know Jesus, he's not expecting you to live like him. But we, what we do is we expect people in our country who aren't believers to be believers, to act like believers. And we're surprised when they don't. What do you expect pagans to do? We're surprised when pagans act like pagans. We, we expect them to wash people's feet when they haven't been washing the blood. Don't expect too much from people who don't know Jesus. We get all in tizzy when we see sinners acting like sinners. Like, what do you expect them to do? They're dead in their sins. They don't know Christ. You should get in a tizzy when you see people who claim to be Christians but acting like they're not. That's what should get you in the tizzy. That should draw you to your knees. I'm not speaking to all of you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, he's not expecting you to be like him. He wants you to know him first. He wants you to know him first. You following in Jesus' example that will not make you clean. It may, it'll make you look good before people. It didn't make people pat you on the back, but it ain't going to make you right with God. So for you, if you don't know him, you need to get washed in his blood before you want to be like him. And that's because you come to him in faith and, and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. And once you do that, once you receive him as your Lord and Savior, then all the ethical things apply to you that he talks about in verse 13. Then you will be obligated to wash one another's feet. Jesus will expect you to do so. 
You can wash one another's feet in tangible ways. It overflows from what Jesus is doing and will do in your life. If you are embracing what he's doing in your life, it will compel you. It will overflow from you. This is what I'm talking about. You ain't got to write it down in the daytime. It's just going to come out of you. Because you fully are embracing the love that is loving you well. You can't help but to extend it to others. After Judas, Judas leaves the, the meal eventually, and then, and, and, and then Jesus goes on and, and tells the disciples he's going to give them a new commandment. And this new commandment, I believe, is what is truly behind washing other people's feet. He says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Love, L-O-V-E, is behind washing other people's feet. It's what's behind the expectation. Jesus simply wants you to love people, particularly those people within the body of Christ. By your love for one another, the world we know that you are my disciples. How are you loving? Sometimes we want to know, measure how we're doing in the faith. Here's one way. How are you loving people? Are you loving people well? That lets you know if you're understanding and growing in your faith. Because I can, I can read, I can have quiet time. I can pray every day. I can do all that stuff and still not love people. I, can, I just don't know how to follow the rules. But I don't love my family. I don't love my parents. I don't love my kids. I don't love my neighbor. But I'm doing all the rules. On the outside, I look good. But my heart, oh, my heart is far from the truth. Do you love people? Are you growing in loving people the way Jesus loves you? Are you? Has Jesus blessed you? Bless others. Has Jesus comforted you? Comfort others. Has Jesus forgiven you of sins? Forgive others of their sins against you. Is Jesus patient with you? Then be patient with others. Does Jesus give you mercy and grace? Then give mercy and grace to others. Does Jesus shame and guilt you when you fail? Then don't shame and guilt other people when they fail. Does Jesus love you in truth and in deed? Yes. Love others in truth and deeds. Does Jesus serve you? Yes, serve others. See what I'm doing here? You see where I'm going with this? Because what he does for you, you do it to other people. Does he sacrifice for you? Yes, you should sacrifice for others. Does he hold you accountable? Yes, he holds us accountable. You should hold other people accountable too. Does Jesus return evil for evil? Does he? Then we should return evil for evil. We should overcome evil with what? Good. Does Jesus discriminate against you? No, he does not. Neither should you. Does Jesus continue to wash your feet? Yes, he does. And you should continue to wash one another's feet. Do you see the connection? You won't live for Christ if you don't understand and embrace what he's doing for you in your life. That's the connection. Everything is a gospel issue. If you have a hard time loving certain people, it always goes back to Jesus. It's something about Jesus I don't understand. If I have a hard time you know, loving those who are racially different than me, then it's something about Jesus I don't understand. 
If I have a hard time getting along with people who, who think politically different than me, there's something about Jesus I don't understand. Because remember, Jesus don't line up with any party, one party. If I have a hard time getting along with people from different denominations and who have different theology than me, there's something about Jesus that's not going on in my heart. It always goes back to that. That takes you to a deeper level of repentance. When you start comparing yourself to what Jesus does, not comparing yourself to one another. Is there any person in the world that Jesus would not forgive? Think of the most evil person you know. If that person truly repents, then that person is going to be in glory. If that rubs you the wrong way, then that's something about Jesus you don't like or understand. Jesus died for sinners. The most heinous ones and the ones who think they ain't so heinous. He died for all kinds. And when that takes root in your heart, it'll give you a little more compassion with people. Even people you don't fully agree with. It'll help you sympathize with them more because you know Jesus sympathizes with you. That is what will happen in you. And he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let us pray. Father, everything that we are and everything that we're ever going to be flows directly out of who you are for us. You haven't called us to do anything that you haven't already done. You have you already done it. You washed the feet of someone who betrayed you. You washed the feet of someone who denied you. You washed the feet of men who, who, let, who abandoned you. You watched a few of the men who couldn't stay awake when you asked them to stay awake. So, Lord, help us truly understand and embrace how deep your love for us, that love that surpasses all knowledge. Because it does, because it doesn't make any sense that you can love us like this. Help, help that understanding, Lord. Help it get inside of our soul, Father. And when it does, it'll change us. It'll change us, Lord, from the inside out. Make us a little more compassionate with our neighbors, our kids, and our spouses, and our siblings, our classmates, our teammates, our co-workers, our neighbors, the neighbor whose dog always poops in my yard and make me compassionate for him. Mm-hmm. Right, I know I'm talking for myself now. Help, Lord. Let us understand that your love never shames us. It never guilts us. And I pray through the power of your spirit, Lord, you help us to be like you in the areas of our life that need to look, reflect more of you. I pray for your church. I pray for myself. I pray for your, uh, your body here that as we go out, you empower us to fight one more week. Pray for our kids. You watch over them and bless them. And I pray for all of this in your son's wonderful name.